0: Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands Podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity, and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the
1: portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at Acuvest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Acuvest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: Hey, James. Eric, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to a little unscripted chat. Um, everybody, this, uh, this unscripted chat between uh, two partners on the, the global brand strategy and the equity suite that we have here at AccuVest is recorded July 6th after the market close. And uh, how's the day going?
1: Good, good. Excited to be on, sharing some of the secret sauces that we, uh, that we cook with. But uh, yeah, thing, things are good end of a quarter getting ready to uh, to talk through some narratives and outlook and and how we're positioned for the rest of this year.
0: Yeah and I, I know we're going to we're going to do more of a formal mid-year update uh, maybe the 22nd of July for for people and we'll have an evergreen recording of that with lots of good slides and you know good chart deck but this one you know is just about you know two two guys who were engaged in the market you know every single day and you know, trying to figure out how to you know how to beat the algorithms, how to beat the market, and uh, and beat and beat peers. So it's it's always a tall order, but it's I don't know. I'm you and I are pretty competitive, I think. So I think we probably enjoy it.
1: Keeps it fun, absolutely.
0: So you know, I, I figured you know let's let's start from the big part of the funnel with with the economy first. And then we can kind of go into the market. And then we can go into our special sauce, which is obviously the, the consumer and consumer spending and where we tend to be, you know, putting our money at work to work, whether it's goods or services, et cetera. I mean, you know, for, for everybody that, that, has, that has followed me on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever or, or clients in general, I mean, I'm obviously very technically oriented. I'm very brand centric, very brand relevancy uh, specific, and you know, James. It, it, I mean, you and I are kind of the yin and yin yang. I think. I mean, you are you are quantitative in nature, fundamental in nature. You're, you know, the CFA. So I, I, you know, I lean on a lot of your work for all of the data that we get through Bloomberg and all the other places that you find data. So from your perch, from a from an economic perspective, we've come a long way, obviously, since February. Mm-hmm in the beginning of this pandemic. I mean, what does some of your work suggest from an economic perspective first? Sure,
1: sure. Uh, well, it certainly is a, a positive backdrop in our opinion. There's, there are, there's some balancing acts to be, to be managed or some tight ropes to walk, especially down the road of this, this rate of change or the rate of growth uh, compared to the trend and compared to just pure economic expansion. We certainly see that growth is going to slow down, uh, but to get pessimistic about a deceleration in growth when the expansion in in economic activity still looks early in in the move and and the the firepower behind it looks looks substantial, Uh, we're, we're pretty confident in in our conviction or our expectations that the risk is to the upside in interest rates and inflation. And a lot of that has to do with the amount of of money that has hit hit the global economy from a money supply perspective and and how good the consumer looks uh, from a a balance sheet perspective, as well as as earnings growth or, or income growth perspective. If we can mix in some business investment, which We are seeing some early indications of very low inventories and a lot of CapEx initiated or or business investment that's expected to be initiated. We we expect to see uh, good demand and higher prices. And in that backdrop, we would expect a a trend higher in interest rates, which puts us in a pro-growth, pro-cyclical stance, preferring equities over fixed income. And even uh, even commodities and real assets over fixed income.
0: I mean, like, do you, do you think this move in rates? I mean, yes, we all know that that trades get crowded on occasion, and when they get crowded, when you have a little bit of confirming contrary evidence, then a lot of those crowded trades need to get unwound. So, I mean, what's your take on? You know, I, I agree with all that. Intuitively, it all makes sense rates right now are saying the exact opposite so what is it that rates might be seeing that the market may or may not be be you know kind of kind of seeing within equities and maybe even bonds
1: that's a a great point i think you you do have to start with interest rates if you can get that trend right uh you're gonna you're gonna be able to figure out a lot of the other leadership and outperformers across asset classes and within equities and just starting with interest rates and the recent pullback, I, I, I we have to first probably tip our hat to the elephant in the room, which is the Fed. And you have we have to realize that the bulk of their monthly purchases are pointed at Treasuries. And I believe they felt like the rise in interest rates back in February or even just the first quarter, all the way up to 175 on the 10-year yield. That was happening all a little bit too fast. And they... They, I I believe, found some ways to just calm down the market, temper some expectations, and get that uptrend in rates to consolidate. You see it in the steepness of the yield curve as well. And and that pullback in interest rates from about 175 to 144 now, so a quarter percent pullback on the 10-year yield in the second quarter just... Through a wrench in, in the spokes of all the leadership and the trends we were seeing in the market. U.S. versus international equities has gone now sideways, just whipsawing and head faking from, uh, from a pretty good early young trend in favor of international. And then within the U.S., growth versus value, likewise, has turned into a choppy sideways pattern. So the pullback in interest rates definitely suggests some pessimism around the rate of growth that I think is understandable and even warranted. As you said, trades for higher rates can get and growth and recovery all got a little bit crowded. I do believe that positioning is right-sized and this pullback in interest rates is an opportunity to to lighten up on duration um, and and add to some of the pro-growth, more cyclically oriented assets in, in the market. And uh, certainly growth will be in demand. Again, companies and brands that can compound are obviously attractive and interesting uh, on their own. But in an environment where we can get a, a rising tide, higher growth, higher inflation, higher interest rates, we do, we do believe that tilting portfolios towards more cyclically oriented countries and regions um, and, and more leveraged balance sheets in more value-oriented sectors are interesting opportunities at this point in the cycle.
0: And, you know, our, our stated goal, when we started this, this, gosh, what was it, 2015, you know, we, we wanted to really, we wanted to, you know, I, I remember sitting in front of my whiteboard just saying, you know, if I could create the perfect equity strategy, and obviously the word perfect is just a synonym for frustration. There's no such thing as perfect. but the, the, the perfect equity strategy to me, you know, kind of solve for the holy grail of investing is, you know, create something that gives strong absolute and, re- and relative performance versus the market. Do it with a giving people a smoother ride along the way so they don't get seasick like most you know investments that have super high beta and super high returns. And, and then do it by being able to, have, to kind of know what you own, that Peter Lynch, know what you own, understand what names, really understand what business what these businesses are so you can sleep at night. And, and obviously our, our preference when, when doing that exercise was to anchor to the global consumption theme because it's 40 plus trillion a year. So it's stable, it's predictable, um, and it's always growing um, as population grows and as incomes grow and then give yourself a lot of flexibility. And so when I look at, you know, this year in particular, like I'm the, I'm the technical guy. So when I see st- such vicious rotations under the hood that, you know, mix up momentum signals, I mean, obviously momentum has been one of the best style factors for the last, I don't know, five or, or more years. You correct me if I'm wrong. Um,
1: 45, 50 years, even, I mean, the momentum yeah. on its own, great, great approach, but so Tough times. You know,
0: th- this year, some of the signals are getting a little bit of, a little bit wonky. And so I, I'm certainly looking forward to kind of at the end of this year, being able to smooth out this year and last year and kind of look at a two year stack of of earnings and free cash flows and all that stuff. So we can really get a picture relative to 2019 for two years, what businesses seem to be really firing on all cylinders and sustainable and which ones don't. So within the, the economic backdrop, I mean, we have obviously, in the, in the dynamic strategy anyway, we have been pretty underweight the value factor for most of the time. And, and that's really been a pretty good decision based on our style factor mm-hmm. work. We, you know, we, we did pivot from some of the growth, the, the really expensive growth exposure in the fourth quarter of last year because it kind of got over way over its skis, and we added, you know, things like CBRE and uh, American Express and Goldman Sachs and some really good, you know, traditional value names, plus those recovery, you know, booking and Expedia and some of the, the travel names. But now, as we're sitting in, in the mid year, where do you, you know, kind of what's your excitement from a from a consumer spending perspective, where where the style factors? maybe you are kind of intersecting because that to to me that's a little bit harder because there's a lot of different scenarios that can play out but as interest rates kind of hit the bottom end of the range maybe we get down to one and a quarter on the 10-year to me it almost I, I was looking at B of A and Goldman and Morgan Stanley and a few value encyclicals and thinking you know maybe I should add some of these some of these back because growth has just had a real big renaissance I mean what are your views there?
1: Well, you make some some good points. I, I specifically around the, you know the brand philosophy and the consumer theme. Uh, when when we hit periods in the market like the last quarter where the signal is tough to differentiate from the noise, there's something something nice. I mean, especially from a from an advisor perspective, talking to clients when you can open up the portfolio and the brands are highly relevant and, and recognizable you get an extra increment of conviction from the client. And the hardest part about this, this exercise, the, the long-term achieving of objectives and goals is, is keeping clients committed to accepting the volatility around equities. And so when, when you have the ability to lean on, in this case, I would say quality uh, in, a, in a period where it's not so much value or, or growth leadership or US versus international leadership, and those, those style style factors start to get uh, range bound or just choppy. Uh, the ability to go back to, to strong balance sheets, companies with wide moats and pricing power, and the ability to increase profitability and sales at the same time, that's the spot to hide. And, and I know you've, like you said, going back to 2015, our willingness to pivot uh, from 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 growth to value is an exercise we know we're going to go through at at when the time is right that flexibility is what uh, what gives the fund and the strategy room to outperform peers and outperform over a market cycle so that all that all is the, is a relief factor for for us and 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 inside the portfolio being able to to sit in high quality stocks as the economic base effects here, the, these year-over-year year numbers that are peaking and rolling over and, and, and rolling over in pretty sharp fashion, as the market digests the, the lower, or the deceleration in growth, but still positive expansion, uh, I, I, think, I think the focus has to return to where the consumer is deploying their spending power. Um, we, when we look under the, under the basket or under the hood of personal consumption, it's been, you know, it's been recreational goods and durable goods for a lot of the stay-at-home period. And I think this, this move, wh- where, where the, the high savings rate for the consumer and the strong balance sheet for the consumer and the wage growth that's, that's building, all of that purchasing power, where they choose to spend it over the next few quarters, I think will we'll really sh- you know, end up being the winners in the equity and brand space, so that's a that's a go forward exercise. But what I would say is that the conviction, uh, the conviction around being invested in equities and there and also being invest invested in in the quality brands within equities are two easy yeses. Um, from here, whether how quickly the savings get deployed, which is going to be an interesting question, and and how quickly the unemployed you know, lose their benefits and get back to work, will have a big impact on on inflation and consumption. So uh, those are going to be interesting cards to fall in the near term. But from a style perspective, I, you know, personally at the at the from a strategic longer term view, we still see opportunities or larger upside and less downside in the value components and the recovery components of the US and Europe. Uh, and we would be rotating back in the direction of the secular growers uh, a few quarters thereafter. We think there's a little more to squeeze out of the out of the the opening up trade and the higher interest rate trade.
0: Yeah, I mean we we have made a very conscious decision as a team to really cluster into the into the quality factor because you know there, there's a I think it's a BlackRock. Uh, chart that it looks at the top decile of quality, compares that valuation, that forward 12-month valuation to the market. Uh, and and the, the, the top decile quality companies are as cheap relative to the market that they've been in like two decades. And, and it's very rarely when you get a chance to really move radically up in the quality spectrum and get the benefit of them being, you know, pretty pretty historically undervalued it's it's almost like a you know a a holiday gift you know come early for us so we're you know last year we had a lot more exposure to the super high growers with high high valuations not a lot of earnings or free cash flow because they were growing really fast now we have we have much less exposure to that you know let's call those the arc names type of type of names and we have much more exposure to those those quality compounders and that feels pretty good
1: yeah, and your your technicals, you know, it served served the portfolio well. Those were hot hand trades with great trends and a, and a good catalyst with COVID, and um, capturing that upside was key. The the quality move perhaps needs you know a little more clarification because quality gets thrown around maybe too much from from the macro perspective with all with the the you know historically low inventories. Uh, can't find employees at the small business level, um, and, and all of the new orders around PMIs, when you, when you put that with the money supply growth, the, the room for input costs for these companies to go up meaningfully uh, is, is substantial and a risk, we would say. So the quality companies, from my perspective, are the companies that can do one of two things and two narratives that can play out over the next few quarters of earnings. One, they either keep their prices where they are and gain market share, or they do a good job of passing on the higher input costs to their end consumers because of their their brand quality and pricing power. The companies that can do that to us exemplify quality and the, the... the, the, the price we pay really, I believe, is that you, you also lose some of your tracking error. You're going to look a little more like the benchmark because a lot of the higher quality companies are larger cap and have a, a higher share of, of your passive indices. So as, as we started out in 2015, the flexibility is key, but knowing when to, to really separate from the benchmark uh, and, and quality into smaller niches of the market and then come back, hold a little extra cash or be a little more focused on quality when uncertainty is increasing Two important um, capabilities for, for the strategy.
0: Yeah. And I, I, and listen, nobody knows the future, but when we get basically, uh, you know, a, a, an above average, you know, year to date return through the, the halfway point that always makes a manager kind of sit up and think. Oh, okay, <laughs> you know this is, this has been a great year in a half a year's time, and there's still six months left of time to go. And you know, I, I would say if I was forced to guess, we probably have you know let's call it a five to eight percent more you know best case scenario on the upside, and maybe a ten to fifteen percent correction. Because remember. I, the, yeah. the average correction every year, going back 50 years, is about 14%. So they tend to be fairly regular and we haven't had one for a while. So you know, I, I suspect, and the reason we're holding a little bit of cash, and that's a very tactical cash, this is not, we do not like, unless we're really bearish about the market, like we were in, in, in the middle of Q4 of 18, we tend not to hold static cash and high levels of it for very long. But we we do hold some you know transitional cash, with the idea that cash earns nothing. But when active trading is you know available and 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 opportunistic, which I think it is still, particularly at a time when I think markets are going to be fairly range bound and within within a big range for the next six months, there there is some opportunity to trade around the core names, and and I agree with you from a quality perspective. You know, making sure that you own, I mean, it's just, it's fun to be able to own a PayPal or an Amazon or an Apple, or, you know, even a Nike with blowout earnings a couple of weeks ago that have really good quality metrics generating a ton of cash that we know have pricing power, have huge demand in their products and services that if they decide to raise prices, they're probably not going to see any, any real kick in demand. Which is which is great. So you know, not being able, not being forced to own certain kinds of businesses to me at this juncture in the year and where the markets are is really important. So I just you know selfishly I love the flexibility, but I you know we're talking our book too.
1: Yeah, that's the and, and rightfully so. But as you said, the path between here and the end of the year, you know, if you could only do one trade today and hold it through the end of the year, you're you're probably hundred percent long equities. But knowing that the path between here and there is, is uh, probably full of volatility, some, some head fakes, inflection points, that all creates opportunity for rotation. So uh, cash to deaden a little bit of volatility here at pretty extended levels, uh, that's, that's certainly, um, certainly the prudent approach, but by no means is it a, a bearish read through on the, uh, the overall outlook.
0: What what what's the, you know, I, I know you do a lot of work on, you know, at, at AcuVest we run other strategies outside of the brand stuff. So we we run country rotation strategies using ETFs. So so where what what does your macro work say about let's call it Europe and then emerging markets? I mean, clearly the 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 US rollout of vaccinations and the reopening has been a lot quicker none of it has been, you know, tremendously impressive, but it's certainly been more impressive and accelerated here. So I would, you know, the data that we see, that I see, says that, you know, Europe is, is slower than the US, but is gaining steam. Certain emerging markets are also slower, but gaining steam. So what, what's the macro work on the countryside? Sure, say, Because actually sure. this is a global strategy and the dynamic, and we do have some European exposure with LVMH and Adidas, um, and we have some emerging markets, you know, we've been holding our, holding our nose and adding to some of the China names. We have a, a unique perspective, I think, on what the PRC is doing. So talk to me about the, you know, about countries and, and regions.
1: Yeah, good, good question. And, and yeah, China is certainly an interesting uh, topic I'll, I'll come back to. Uh, I would say, you know, interestingly, uh, we talked about the conviction around brands and, and, and knowing a product. You just, you don't always get that. You'd think you would get it, you know, out of country. Hey, I own a whole country here, Sweden or, or South Korea uh, two of our top three countries. And it's, it's still difficult. So much other noise and cross currents come into the country selection effects compared to a standalone company or brand, but at the highest level uh, at the regional level, I would say, Europe is the trade that never arrived. Uh, really, we've had clients and, and analysts ready to allocate an increased exposure to Europe uh, for, for the last four months, looking for that relative strength to, to, to show up and trigger, trigger a, a, or confirm a rotation, whether it was the vaccination or, or the, the slow vaccination efforts or just the, the pullback in interest rates here in the U.S., that suggested maybe some slower growth. Europe just never got off the floor. We still see, you know, solid value and and low risk in Europe. Uh, We really think that COVID actually reduced some of the risk premium around the euro as the ECB was finally able to issue debt uh, at the ECB level rather than a country level. So the euro uh, we think is, is attractively valued versus the dollar. But until we see the global economic recovery take firm hold, that cyclical, the extra cyclical exposure you get from Europe doesn't really pay the dividends as far as increased profitability and, and sales growth. So we we, we we think it fits with the lower interest rate trend. If rates bottom and start to rally in the US and, and the boon likewise in Germany starts to pick up, we think Europe is, is a spot for uh, this the strategic allocators for the medium to long term 18 months or, or longer uh, in emerging markets interestingly Latin America is at the top of our rotation model for regions Brazil has moved up into the top 10 of our rankings Mexico is a position we've we haven't held for a while but is back in our in the top half of our country rankings that to a large degree we believe is the effect of, of commodities which, If you were going to try to map interest rates and where interest rates should be based on commodity prices or or a copper to gold ratio, you're you're looking at meaningfully higher interest rates based on how well commodities have done. So uh, emerging markets, another uh, component of our portfolio construction, offer great long-term growth at a reasonable value and, and diversify portfolios globally. Uh, it, and and we, we are certainly are big believers in getting that where you can. But at, for the time being, uh, we are we are modestly overweight the US. Again, that's a that's a that's a trend that's recently reversed in that direction. Um, and I think over the medium to long term, we still favor international and in value. But the 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 market is the market and we have to respond uh, to the trend and the risks and developments as they present themselves. And right now, U.S. growth appears to be the, the place to be.
0: Right. What's, uh, we we talk about this all the time with our kids too. You know, I, I, everybody who has kids has such good information about the brands that are really important. Because let's face it, trends are not set by old guys like me. I'm 52 and I'm stuck in my ways. And, you know, but but when you, You know, when I talked to, you know, my daughter, one, I mean, this is probably over a year ago. She said, dad, if target isn't one of your biggest holdings, I will so be so mad at you because target is the greatest place in the world. They have everything we need. Mom goes there, you know, four times a week, whatever. And the stock's been an absolute monster. And Mm -hmm. she loves Amazon. She loves Starbucks. And, And by the way, she's, she's nudging me because we don't own much Starbucks, uh, and, and I, I better get my you know I better get my allocation decision back into the Starbucks world because she says that Starbucks is is, is a real winner and I, I seem to be the loser in that in that regard. So from, from your kids, I mean what, what are they from a hobby perspective, from a yeah. brand perspective, any, any brands that they just absolutely are, are addicted to you know? Well,
1: let's say my son and, and to that point, I mean you probably listen to your daughter, for uh, my son, just because of the the consumption, historical consumption trends around, <laughs> around daughters, but yeah, uh, same. So uh, Nike is, it, of course, his portfolio is crushing it compared to anything I'm doing, but Nike, a big hold Microsoft, a big hold for Xbox and, and Minecraft. He's uh he's, he's intrigued by the Epic games IPO. Uh, you know, so he owns some 10 cent and his, has weathered the storm there. But, uh, but, but Epic games is an interesting, interesting name for him and and Google and Apple. I mean, he he's a, he's an iPod, iPad kid. Uh, he gets, he understands, uh, what, what Google brings to the table, but his, his big call has been Nike, uh, you know, n- you know, no, no under armor, just, just Nike. I think, um, you know some of the some of the skater brands like Vans uh, are, are are starting to show up a little bit more, but it is it's about apparel, um, and it's about it's about uh, entertainment. Nothing nothing so specific as Take Two or EA or Activision Blizzard, but the platforms are still uh, still very interesting to him, and and to the extent that uh, it's allowed, social media. Uh, is is definitely in the mix, uh, and I'd I'd, I'd be um, I'd be remiss not to mention that you know he he's into e commerce. We there's a small Etsy business that that uh, is in the works, and he sees the behind the scenes of that, and you know he's thinking you know hey how can how can I build a birdhouse or make a duct tape wallet or whatever it might be. But these kids, these younger kids that are willing to consume over mobile and I think willing to think about business uh, over, over, over social media and over these e-commerce platforms, those are those will be probably the emerging themes for him over the next five to 10 years.
0: I like it. I mean, you know, you talked a little bit about the the uh, the GDP report and the consumption, you know, so much of the consumption component has been goods. Durable goods, etc. You know, home furnishings, etc. And and the service component, which you know, is a bigger part of the economy. That obviously, for, for many reasons, I mean, you know, I, I sit in California and we just opened like fully June fifteenth, so it's it, you know, we were much later than most most other states. So the w- w- we are certainly heavily exposed to the services segment of the economy because that's the part of the economy. That traditionally is does really well, um, and has been lagging the most. So this mean reversion trade, certainly there's I think there's actually a few mean reversion you know trades within the, the dynamic strategy in particular. One, it's a reversion to services, and and two, it's it's you know the the, the two plus trillion of savings that's that's sitting in people's accounts. I, I yeah. mean, you know, I, I don't. I think the savings I think the savings rate came down to about twelve and it's normally it's about seven or seven and a half so we still have a ways to go just to get the savings rate down to normal quote-unquote normal and I, I mean let's face it two plus trillion of, of savings plus a wealth effect in stock markets at all-time highs and home prices at all-time highs consumer sentiment that's really high I mean to me it seems like you got a multi-year tailwind, at least for the next 12 to 18 months, of a nice trickle in consumer spending being supportive, uh, at least in in those companies, regardless of what happens on, on the rest of, you know, through the rest of the economy, just simply because so much money is sitting there, that's, that will eventually mean revert as things always do. Any thoughts on that, you know? Yeah, you've no. seen.
1: Good point, and 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 the, the the services the services recession we even call it like that is that is very different than historical recessions. Historically, manufacturing is is the more beaten up part of the the economy in your traditional recession. In this case, and and it maybe even shines a light on why Europe is lagging. It, there is the rebound in services when you when you blend it with the millennial preferences for experiences, as well as the very high prices of, of goods and real estate through kind of the rush into those uh, and the inflation components in the economy. The idea of, of the savings and the, the wage gains at the consumer level being pointed towards services and experiences is uh is certainly enticing to the degree that you're you're rebounding and just recovering what you lost at the you know at the at the whatever hotel or restaurant level uh that's great but i, I think that there's 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 an add-on to that from from this strength of the personal consumption setup the the idea that 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 more that unemployment's gonna work its way lower more and more payrolls being paid out, a strong savings balance sheet, high home prices and high 401ks, the willingness to travel, the willingness to get out and have a new experience uh, at the expense potentially of that washer and dryer or durable good that was, it was already replaced and, and, and that demand was pulled forward in 2020, There's a bifurcation there that's a little bit different than growth versus value or quality versus recovery. It's more, it's, it's much more pointed at, at services rather than, than goods. So I I like that point a lot. And I think it's, it's going to come down again to how, how the consumer chooses or decides what, you know, what their, what their priorities are, as far as new experiences go, is it travel? Is it back to the movies is it you know your favorite restaurant and how how those choices unfold obviously you know take us back to brand relevancy but you know where's the innovation in the service space too i mean what are what are the new experiences and staying on top of those trends is is uh, equally enjoyable
0: well, i don't I, I don't know about if you have any friends in vegas but they tell me that vegas is back with an absolute vengeance <laughs>
1: i've i've heard i did uh, i did get out pre pre-covid opening back in january and i was i was surprised i i mean it was masked up and distanced but uh the tables were full the restaurants were the restaurants were okay but the strip was busy uh people were out um the airport uh looked good and so yeah the the idea of uh the idea of getting out and uh, having some fun, gambling a little bit, um, all, all distant memories for, for especially large swaths of California.
0: You know, I, we're running up against uh, kind of our, our time limit, but, you know, I wanted to kind of close on, on one concept. You know, if, if you look at the dynamic strategy and, and it's dynamic f- for, for many of the reasons that we talked about, because the economy changes, the market changes, consumer trends change, you know, consumer habits and patterns change. And and so you have to style factor leadership changes. So if your goal is to outperform more often than not, you have to be willing to be dynamic. I, I mean, I, I, you know, in my former life working for some big institutional managers, we, you know, I went years, you know, representing Oakmark and Bill Nygren those guys and I absolutely love them. But man, they were just painful for years and years being stuck in a box that they probably would have loved to have gotten out from that. And so you kind of, you need to suffer through that. But when I look at the current brand strategy, we're pretty concentrated 30 stocks, which I love the concentration, 22% outside of the US, which includes, you know, Canada and France and Australia, China and Germany. Um, And, you know, if your goal is to outperform one of my mentors, when I was first in this business, um, at Tariq and an institutional value shop in the, in the Bay area, he said, you know, if your goal is to beat the market, you got to look really different than the market. And correct me if I'm wrong, you probably have the most up-to-date data. Our tracking error is like 11 or 12. So that's pretty high relative to peers. Correct.
1: Spot on. Yeah. And, and to that point, uh, you know, there's, that's, uh, you know, we're on bubble watch in a lot of ways in our, in our quarterly and annual reviews, like you got to take a step back and look for disequilibrium or, or, you know, extended trends. And certainly one of those is the move into passive, uh, you know, it's a, you, know, you spend years getting a degree and getting a CFA and come to find that none of that really matters, <laughs> Uh, it, but that's a, that's a short-term dislocate or, well, it's turned out to be pretty long-term move towards passive. And if, you know, if at, at whatever point in time, the largest market cap weighted passive indices start to stagnate, the ability to, to be selective across market cap, across region and across sector uh, and, and weight it based on conviction – is, is, is a philosophy that I, I can't shake. So um, I look forward to the, the cyclical alpha that will come with some of the unwinding away from market cap weighted indices back towards some some measure of selectivity and some measure of thoughtful portfolio construction, whether it's based on momentum or value or a consumer theme and brands. That, that opportunity is, I believe, beginning to emerge after a long slumber and um, having the flexibility that we have across style factors and sectors and regions. That's, that's the place where, uh, where I put my money. So it looks, um, looks like a, looks like a good window of opportunity in the near term from what I'm seeing.
0: Well, I, uh, when I look at the top five holdings, I mean, you know, I, I I'm pretty wired into competition and, you know, one, there, there, I don't know of any other equity strategy that's focused on global consumer spending, lifetime spending, not just staples or discretionary, but literally from Pampers to Botox and hip replacements is, is an investable universe. I certainly don't know of any other uh, public, particularly in the US, it's dedicated to brands. I know there's a the Morgan Stanley Global Brands Fund, and I respect those guys a lot in the UK, um, but we are very different. They're very staples oriented. We're very, you know, play offense or defense whenever we see the, the need to play offense or defense rather than be static in one or the other. And I certainly don't know many portfolios that have RH restoration hardware as the top holding. You know, our top five currently as we speak, RH, Amazon, PayPal, Visa, and Caesars Casinos. So that's a very eclectic group of, of names that serve the consumption theme across home, luxury home furnishings and e-commerce and cloud as well as fintech and peer to peer payments with debit and credit cards as well as getting the heck out and having fun at the pool party
1: yep and and tangible tangible brands tangible businesses that i think uh, a lot of consumers touch and feel on a regular basis and 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 the comfort with using them uh, some of the more innovative brands out of that mix certainly seems to be going up and with with everything that we've seen over the last ten to fifteen years from the Fed and fiscal policy, uh, there, the politically speaking, or or whatever, the mandate in general definitely appears to be keep on un, keep unemployment low, keep cash in the hands of the consumer, and and let these brands innovate and compound on their own. And um, it does it it certainly appears that COVID reinforced that thesis, the idea of. If, we, if, if there is a risk-off period, there will be uh, support for the consumer in a variety of ways, if not unprecedented ways, uh, which further backstops uh, the, the conviction for a strategy focused on the consumer. Not just the quality of the brands, but knowing that uh, the willingness to spend is always there, at least in the U.S., whether it's out of savings or credit. Um, but also their capability to spend. The the governments and the the institutions, uh, at least in the U.S., very much focused on keeping the consumer confident.
0: Hey Amen. To, to end, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Since yeah. the sector indexes were created, and by, and by sector indexes, I mean the ETFs because I don't have access to the data. It's sure. on sure. Bloomberg. So the sector ETFs, 12 of 98 that's when they started so you know whatever that is 22 plus years of data mm-hmm. what sector do you think most people would say was the outperforming sector since that 98 period
1: most people i believe would say technology
0: that Just is correct
1: change, changing I, I, our lives
0: i use that i use that every time what sector do you think, and this is a curveball, I mean, it's obviously a layup given two guys uh, teed up on the consumer, but yeah. what, what sector do you think was the actual best performer?
1: That's, that's going to be the companies that leveraged the innovation and in technology the best. To deliver new products and experiences to consumers. So I'd I'd be up. I'd be in, in the consumer discretionary space on that one.
0: Well, there you go. Just a fun fact. You, you know, using the, the, the primary sector indexes since 12, 1298 through the end of, of June this year, XLY is the biggest outperformer at annualized 10.3 versus tech. Tech is number three, actually, by the way. Uh, tech is at 8.25. And the SP is at 7.9. So tech outperformed the uh, the market since since 1298. Obviously, you know, 98, we had a year worth of crazy tech outperformance and then you know a dark cloud for two and a half years or whatever it was.
1: Sure. But
0: um, but but the interesting healthcare was the number was the number two one just behind consumer discretionary. So what tends to happen is when the market's doing well, consumer discretionary and tech tend to be pretty good places to be. When the economy tends to be soft, the defensives, staples, and healthcare tend to add a lot of value.
1: Yeah, and again, if, if you just open up the personal consumption expenditures and look at the proportions within them, I guess uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see healthcare in the mix up there at the top.
0: So, So with consumer, I mean, frankly, it's not very odd that a consumer-based economy that's out of recession more often than not uh, would show the best consumer brands being pretty decent outperformers versus the market. So the data isn't very surprising. What is surprising, and and that's what I really lean on in my conversations with advisors is, this data is intuitive, it's proof-based, and yet you don't have any dedication to the consumer. And that's why you need to talk about the dynamic brands. And and if you're an ETF person only, I respect that. And I would rather have you in XLY or something related to that than not having an exposure at all, because, you know, XLY has beat the market like 66% of the time, when even tech has only beat 50% of the time on an annual basis. So there's just so much evidence to support having some dedication, particularly to consumer discretionary, and yet nobody does. And you see it in the ETF assets. I mean, there's three and a half times more money in tech ETFs overall than there is in consumer discretionary. So that yeah. tells you that it is not a crowded trade by any means.
1: Well, what about what about the go forward period? I, I, I would say to answer that Record savings rates for the U.S. consumer and the highest wage growth we've seen since 1982. Uh, the The consumer is is in as good of position as I've ever seen. And so, uh, for for the legs of the story, the legs of the theme, uh, we could be we could be entering a whole new upcycle here. And it's again just figuring out what you know what the preferences of these consumers are going to end up being in aggregate, and which companies are. Are going to innovate and in position to 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 steal market share, and that's, you know, that's uh that's always the, the exciting endeavor.
0: Absolutely. Well, I thank you for all of your time and all of the. Uh, just so you guys know, I I am just the biggest pain in the ass to James because I'm constantly on these silly research projects where I don't have the ability to get the data. In some ways, I can't even analyze the data. That's where I bring in the big, the big brains of James. And between the two of us and Dave, our other partner, we I think we cover a lot of different bases around macro, micro, fundamentals, and and technical analysis. So thanks a lot for your you know for all your help. And I I apologize for being such a pain in the ass sometimes. Oh
1: please no these are these are my favorite exercises. Who who really cares about inflation in Indonesia? Really <laughs> you know <laughs> no the the brands the brands research is great and your willingness to. To search far and wide for the right perspective on things and the and the right data uh, to to use for your conclusions shows up in the Alpha. So um, keep it up, and we'll keep. Uh, you know, I'm here anytime you're willing to have me back. It'll be it'll be my pleasure.
0: I should send everybody your email address versus mine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please don't. All right, buddy. Thanks for your time. Right. I'll talk to you again.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to mega brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the dynamic brand section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the dynamic brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.